1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 162 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own. and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to result in my current employment. And I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Tonight, we're going to talk everything incident response. That's right. where the cool kids hang out. Our guest today is the lead of incident response consulting services at Accenture Security. Mr. Nick Esner is going to be with us. Nick has been with Accenture for four years, and he has over a decade of incident response experience, leading some of the largest companies in the largest investigations and data breaches around the world. So he started in cybersecurity in 2001 where he has built and run some of the largest security operations centers for Fortune 100 organizations. And in his career, he has led consulting teams at IBM, ArcSight, and Mandiant. And he's just the kind of tier one guest we like to have on this show. Mr. Nick Esner, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio.
2: Hey, George, how are you doing? It's great to be here today. I appreciate you having me on. I've, I've been listening for uh, Task Force 7 for a long time, and it's a pleasure to be on this side of, of your radio.
1: Man, that's so great. I love it. I love it, man. Thanks for listening. I, um, I, I'm really excited to have you on. We've got a lot of questions and, and, and things to talk about. Um, incident response is a, is a really great subject because this is sort of the, the crisis management, you know, where the rubber hit, meets the road here in, in, in the cybersecurity industry. And this is where all the action is in, in some sense. So, I mean, you, you're leading the incident response uh, effort over at Accenture and and you've lived and worked all around the world i mean you know i've I've read up on you i know that you were living in london when covid hit and and now you're back in denver right so you're moving around a lot you sort of have this worldly view uh, of things which is uh very beneficial to our audience from your eyes what are you seeing going on in this crazy year you know 2020 looking back on what happened i mean what did you see uh happen what were some of the trends in cybersecurity?
2: Yeah, George, um, all I can say is that this has been a totally unpredictable year. Uh, I, Twelve months ago, I would never have told you any of this would have actually happened. What we've seen this year, um, the, obviously, the dramatic increase in ransomware attacks. Um, this is just not ransomware attacks targeting you know the, the Fortune 500 companies. We're seeing attacks going down to you know mom and pop organizations, school districts, local governments. We're seeing this all around us in our communities. Um, We've seen also um, uh, a dramatic increase of um, ICS and OT uh, attacks that uh, actually are traversing more and more between IT and OT, so a very blended attack perspective. Um, and and to add on to the ransomware events is we're seeing a, a double whammy with extortion, where, you know, we see data exfil in conjunction with ransomware attacks for a, a double whammy from the, the threat actors, which has thrown in a, even a greater wrench in how our, our clients are responding to these types of attacks. And, and even the what we call the run-of-the-mill business email compromise attacks are 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 increasing as well so what we're seeing is we're seeing um attacks on all surfaces from all angles targeting all sorts of clients um out there um and uh it, it, we're really seeing a lot of motivation for economic economic gains here
1: so in general like who, who's who's launching all these attacks this is unrelenting it's just unrelenting i mean uh, in general, I mean, is there a certain group that you see out there that is responsible for this chaos?
2: There, there's, there's no one group, but what's interesting enough is that we're, we're seeing threat actors coming in from all, all around the world. Uh, we're seeing uh, threat actors with different motivations, whether it's cyber espionage, cyber criminal, uh, hacktivism. And what we're also seeing is, you know, threat actors are um, trading tools. They are selling access so it's when you're doing the investigation and you're doing root cause analysis uh, to see um, you know, patient zero and attribution, it's starting to get blurry as, um, as things are being interchanged between uh, threat groups and motivations and, and their tools.
1: You're on the front lines here, man. What kind of organizations are you working with at Accenture? Who calls up Accenture and says, hey, I need some help? And do they wait until something goes bad? You know what I'm saying?
2: Well, <laughs> unfortunately, um, at Accenture, we, we work with like what I call the Global 2000. So uh, a lot of multinational corporations, um, organizations that have different business lines, subsidiaries, uh, organizations that are going through MA activity constantly have presence, um, you know, um, presence, you know, j- traditional on-prem uh, distributions, um, uh, cloud premise uh, and moving to the cloud. So it is quite, qu- quite a, a big mix of uh, different types of uh, organizations. Um, and uh, they, they all engage slightly different. Um, uh, they have retainers. Some of them um, uh, will have multiple security partners on hand. So they, they you know, we, we reach out to try to engage with our clients proactively um, before before they have an incident and have to call uh, our hotline.
1: Yeah, but how many of them actually really do that? I mean, how many engage your company before they have a bad day, right? Before, they, you know... Isn't it kind of too late at that point in some respects? I mean, it's not I mean, obviously they have to deal with it and they need they need help and everything, but Isn't the best time to call is when there's nothing going on or you think there's nothing going on? It is. (laughs) You (laughs) can never be sure, right?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, um, with Accenture Security, we work with our clients across multiple facets. So instant response is really just one element of the services we provide. We have managed security services, digital identity, um, a lot of uh, uh, proactive and readiness uh, and transformational services. So we like to reach out to our clients prior so you know, one of the ways we do that is with our incident response retainers. retainers. Um, and that is, I, I preach our incident response retainers and having that program in place because I kid you not, our hotline always rings on Friday afternoons. Um, no doubt. No doubt. Friday
1: afternoon, five o'clock, man. I mean, before three day the weekend or something. And Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Um, so, And think about that is during an incident, um, you don't wanna be doing on a three-day weekend or on a Friday night, negotiating a statement of work and doing red lines uh, with your legal team. Um, What is even probably worse is um, uh, uh, being turned down on a Friday night because the firms you're reaching out to are too busy and can't take you on. So yes, when things are quiet, we encourage our clients to go out, um, meet with different incident response providers, get to know them, build a relationship, put a retainer in place, and hopefully, you knock on wood, that uh, you don't need them. So
1: are, are most companies setting up these retainers through their uh, law firms, through third-party law firms, to make sure they have that attorney-client privilege uh, with yeah. your organization, or that's not happening?
2: We're, we're seeing a, a, a shift here in the past year where we're seeing a lot more of that. Uh, particularly, you know, there's been some recent case studies um, where incident response work needs to be um, delivered under privilege. So working with outside counsel to establish those retainers. Um, we're, so that is again, what we say, you know, honestly, we hope that doesn't happen with our clients, but there is still some of that, um, let's say run of the mill, um, assistance that our clients need that would never go to court that would never be a, a, a attorney client work um, product um, from a privilege perspective so we, we actually see retainers still on both sides of the fences there
1: is there any such thing as a zero dollar retainer I mean do you guys do that kind of stuff I mean a firm maybe doesn't have a lot of money maybe probably won't need you maybe they have, they have multiple retainers right because I mean a lot of these a lot of companies have two three retainers of uh, uh, you know for incident response services and maybe one is a paid service where they use that you know primary company all the time uh, during the year or, or for a certain amount of services and then maybe the other two are zero dollar retainers that they have here here's our here's our agreement we have any everything in place we can we don't have to sit there on a Friday night and do the have the lawyers do all the redlining it, it's all done but then we just have to negotiate, you know, what we're what we're going to do, what the service is going to be, and how much it's going to cost uh, when it happens. I mean, do you see that, or that's not really?
2: Yeah. So a lot of I'd say our some of our larger uh, uh, clients actually will have a couple retainers in place. Um, you know that that paid retainer, the value of that is that it comes with an SLA um, and those prepaid hours that, that clients can draw down. So there's a lot of benefits to having a paid retainer, but also, as you mentioned, a $0 is, is have a couple more as from a backup perspective. There's no cost to setting those up because, and, um, but also keep in mind with a $0 retainer, you're not getting an SLA. So yes, you could call and evoke your $0 retainer, but there's still no guarantee that, um, that you will be at the front of the line for, for, for service. Right, right.
1: So, you know, I guess COVID has uh, really, really changed things up in the cybersecurity world, everybody working from home, this remote environment. How has this environment impacted your team's ability to respond to your clients while we're all locked down, right? I mean, do you, do you still travel on site for incident response?
2: Uh, well, actually, interesting. Um, uh, my team has been actually delivering IR investigations 100% remote since about uh, mid-March. And so we, we're not going on site now, but um, we have actually adjusted our methodologies here to accommodate this new uh, COVID uh, work from home environment uh, where our clients are, are remote. Um, and to really su- to be effective with supporting our clients remotely, Um, is I I call it Agile IR, is we've just adopted some of our methods of how we leverage um, cloud infrastructure to deliver our services, um, delivering from the cloud to code for the cloud, um, and how we uh, leverage our tools to quickly be able to um, triage endpoints uh, at scale, um, perform remote acquisitions, uh, utilize the cloud for processing um, uh, images, And really, what this allows us to do, if you think about it, is uh, we are able to truly deliver using a distributed IR team. So, a lot of what you know, you you know, follow the one type of delivery models. Um, where, you know, I'm thinking one recent um, uh, an example of this is our Australian team was running a, um, a ransomware case recently. And what this allows us to do in this agile IR um, uh, capability is during, you know, at the end of the, the Australian day, they turned over the work to our UK team. Um, and then the UK team then turned over to the North American team um, at, at the end of their day. So when the Australians came back online, uh, we had already um, uh, processed several um, uh, forensics images. So then they were then able to move on to the next stage of uh, the investigation. Um, and so, I mean, th- th- this example is, is something what I would just call um, you know, ch- ch- you know, IR at speed and scale. We're, we're delivering real results for, for our clients.
1: So do you see this uh, trend staying or, you know, this process, I should say, uh, staying even after, you know, maybe COVID is gone, the vaccine comes out, hopefully, hopefully everything goes great this year. We have a much better, you know, 2021 and and getting back to normal. But what does getting back to normal look like? I mean, (laughs) do you still do these things remote? I mean, what do you think is going to happen?
2: Yeah, I wish I knew what normal normal is going to be. Um, nice. I see, oh, I, we, we've got a lot of, as, as you know, in my example there, a lot of efficiencies uh, that we, we've we created, which I think we'll keep. Um, but there's an element of uh, face-to-face that is hard to beat. I mean, we are all uh, uh, social, social animals. Um, there's this element of, um, we, we see a lot of challenges, you know, running, Virtual war rooms all day long and being uh, you know, Zoom fatigue. Um, there's an element of um, efficiency and effectiveness when you are interfacing face to face. So, part of me says um, there'll be some element of um, on site face to face presence, especially when it relates to building uh, relationships with our, our clients and our peers but a lot of leveraging the effectiveness of technology and, and cloud solutions that have propelled us to where we're at right now.
1: So we're hearing a lot about these COVID-19 phishing campaigns and, you know, I mean, it's just the, the lowest of the low, right? <laughs> and they're targeting organizations with these phishing attacks. Like, What, what are you seeing in regards to
2: this? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you see this in the news, right? Um, uh, spear phishing campaigns with COVID in the context um, I, I guess I'd say two things here is, first of all, phishing is um, we see so much of it because it actually works. Um, from our casework, about um, 50% of the initial vector is still phishing. Um, even, even our own um, Accentures, are sophisticated adversary simulation team, um, when they're doing a, a red team uh, assessment, um, they still get in through phishing because it works. Um, uh, I guess second to COVID what I say here and, and um, uh, specifically what we're seeing with ransomware groups um, targeting healthcare organizations this year and companies conducting COVID research. Um, we all know that Jeez. you know the, the, the FBI released the advisory I think was at the end of October specifically to provide information to the the community, certain TTPs of threat groups that were targeting healthcare organizations, how they were going after them with Ryuk and uh, TrickBot um, and and trying to get in front of that. So it's been quite uh, quite an interesting year that I would, you know, when we talked about uh, from, you know, what we saw 12 months ago, these are things that we would never have predicted.
1: Uh, it's just sickening, man. It's just, uh, it just amazes me that we, you know, we have to deal with this kind of thing, and it's just unrelenting, too. But uh, we're going to pause with some quick messages, folks, from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guests, the Cyber Defense and Incident Response Lead at Accenture, Mr. Nick Esner. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio. The Voice of Cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Cynet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo and across the U.S., Cynet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Cynet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T
5: In today's interconnected world digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work live and communicate in business staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
1: We're back with our special guest, the Cyber Defense and Incident Response Lead at Accenture, Mr. Nick Esner. So, Nick, you know, we talked a little bit about ransomware in, in, in the first segment. You mentioned it, and uh, we talked about all these phishing attacks. And I think, you know, we can all agree that 2020 is sort of the year of ransomware. I mean, it's just been nuts, right? Well, why is this happening? I mean, why, why ransomware? And, you know, why are things so prime for ransomware attacks right now?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, ransomware is very opportunistic for the the threat actors. And, you know, going back to the COVID and how we've pivoted to this work from home environment, um, organizations had had to quickly adapt to uh, this massive remote workforce. Um, You now, think about it, you have employees that are now no longer protected by that traditional corporate defenses that we spent years building. Um, you know, no. Uh, you know, employees are not sitting behind those corporate firewalls. There's no IPS on the home networks. Uh, they may not be going through uh, proxies, and um, you know, maybe sometimes uh, employees are connecting through the VPN or or through a, or a Citrix. Um, basically, if you think about it, we now have a distributed workforce, and and increase the attack surface. Um, and so this then changes the the, the paradigm of how. Our security operations and our CERT teams monitor and respond to threats that are targeting um, our, our remote uh, workforce. Um, so now, from a, a response perspective, um, you know organizations are running remote uh, security operations teams. They're running uh, virtual war rooms, um, trying to do remote remediation, remediating from the outside in. Uh, you know, think about there, there is no guy. Um, to send down to the data center anymore. Um, so we have to rethink uh, how we are responding and, and recovering to, to these types of attacks. Um, and, and, and also I'd say that um, ransomware attacks have, have been evolving this year. Um, we are seeing uh, uh, 12 times range between days to months. Um, we're seeing, as I mentioned earlier, access to environments are being sold from one group uh, to another, uh, going back to being very opportunistic. And, um, and, and we're actually seeing um, ransomware when it's deployed specifically target backup servers. So it makes it harder for our, for our um, organizations to, to actually then recover. Um, so it's, it is just front, it's compounding the situation from a opportunistic to that that um, uh, attack surface, and then how organizations are able to to respond.
1: So we're talking a lot about the response. Does the response begin before an attack even happens, so to speak? Right. I mean, what are some of the the mistakes that our companies are making in their posture for this type of attack?
2: Hmm, well. I see a couple of things here. I see companies not prepared from that response perspective um, because it's it's harder for organizations to quickly assemble and have a coordinated response. Uh, as I said, like when everyone's remote, um, and when we look at you know uh, you know we we've always talked about from a readiness perspective of. Having the instant response plans, having a disaster recovery Um, plan—these were all written back when we all worked in the office. Uh, When we had some of these,
1: some of these response plans, or some of these ransom attacks, actually cripple the response. Right? You you see that happen?
2: I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what do you do then when your your, your people can't even get online? (laughs) Yeah, so we've uh, we've seen where um, it will take down email. Uh, so you have to uh, have those plans to communicate out of bands. Um, we've, we've seen where um, infrastructure management tools are impacted, such as, you know, SCCM. So how do you recover when your recovery plan instructs you to use SCCM and other uh, management tools, but those tools are unavailable, uh, along with Let's say SAP. So it really changes that paradigm of what you prioritize to be able to to recover because you can't, you know, not every single application is a a critical application that needs to be recovered first. Right. You actually have to have a plan in a sequence.
1: So there's a lot of talk about, you know, when to pay ransom, when not to pay ransom. I know the FBI says, you know, don't ever pay the ransom. Right. And uh, it's against the law to pay ransom, isn't it? I mean, you can't just pay uh, a ransom to someone that you don't even know who they are. Um, You don't know uh, what their motives are. You don't know what they're going to do with that money. I mean, an argument could be made that you could be funding terrorist activities. Like, you have no idea, really. And maybe sometimes you do, even. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know where that puts organizations. But, you know, I I was recently having a conversation with someone and, they were like, uh, well, just saying that you're never going to pay a ransom because it's against the law is a simplistic view of things. That, What's your thoughts on that? that?
2: That is absolutely right. You you cannot make that uh, simplistic view without being in, in someone's shoes that has to make that decision. Um uh, the the decision to pay is ultimately up to the organization and, and their legal counsel, and you have to look at the the how you would do it. What's the potential impact? Um, working with the FBI, for example, um, and you know the the curveball here that I tell everyone is um, if there is life safety systems at stake, um, like you know for example when we talk about healthcare and hospitals. Um, th- that is a very, very hard decision to make in those types of, of, circumstances. Um, and, and to compound on top of that, one of the, the driving factors that I've seen, um, within organizations, um, whether to, to pay or not to pay is their ability to recover, um, uh, specifically with backups. Um, what, uh, it, it, if an organization can recover from backups, great. Um, but we, you know, we've seen uh, ransomware target the, the backup servers. Yeah. And so this is, this is crippling uh, organizations. And we've, we've seen organizations file Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So this, this is something you don't wish, wish on anyone.
1: No, no, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. But I think if you have an organization that gets hit with ransomware and then they call the FBI... And they're, you know, investigating, they're helping them along, giving them guidance and direction. And then the organization decides, hey, look, we're going to go ahead and pay that ransomware. What's the FBI going to do then? I mean, I've seen what they've been doing. It's not pretty.
2: Yeah. So interesting here. So this is uh, the whole process around uh, when an organization does does go to make a payment. Um, Obviously, um, working with the FBI, working with your legal counsel, um, there are, um, uh, organizations that have brokers that do this, uh, on, on your behalf to actually negotiate with, um, with, a, with the actors. Um, there is some, um, some due diligence checks that, that they perform. But again, at the end of the day, um, you still don't know, uh, who is at the, at the other end. Um, and so there, there's an element of identifying the legitimacy, if that's such a word of a threat group, um, they, um, the, these broker organizations, you know, they, they perform proof of life, uh, they'll, uh, test the decryption, um, and, and actually facilitate it on behalf of organizations. But I don't, this is an unfortunate business model and, uh, I don't know how sustainable it is.
1: Mm. So well, in terms of the FBI, right? I know there's people out there who do this for a living that help companies, you know, deal with the bad guys, right? Act as that intermediary and and and, and do the brokering and the and all the discussions that take place and everything. And uh, but what is the FBI going to do? Like, you know what I mean? Because I, I, I'm, I'm, they're not just going to sit there and, and let you pay the ransom. I mean, do you see them doing that? Do you see them saying, okay, you know, you had to pay the ransom because your whole business was going to go down. We feel sorry for you. I don't, I don't see that happening.
2: <laughs> yeah, so interesting. So the FBI is, is not uh, necessarily an, an enforcement arm. It's more the investigation arm. Um, and so they're probably going to advise you um, of uh, ramifications to pay or not to pay uh, and what may happen. Uh, a lot of these conversations, obviously, these are you know closed-door conversations, um, but again, it's, there is unwritten rules here of, like I, I mentioned, what if there is life safety systems involved or national critical infrastructure? Yes, the FBI has um, uh, interest to understand what is going on, how they want to know what, what threat actors are doing, um, how they're changing their, their tactics, and also they are tracking down who's on the back end of this. So it is critically important uh, if you are faced with any types of situations as such is to work with the FBI, don't ignore them uh, and, and be, yeah. be upfront with them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fines come from the regulators in these cases. I almost feel like a fine is like, you know, okay, you weren't ready for this attack and you know, you had to pay rent. So we're going to fine you because of that. Almost. I think, you know, that's almost the, the position that looks like I, I, I see this getting worse. I see something really bad, gonna, I see it. eventually someone's going to trace a ransomware payment to some type of you know anti-Western, anti-American activity. Um, and you know, God forbid, if that activity involves the loss of life or something. I, and I just see it just really getting ugly. So, but you know, so say a company wants to pay a ransom. Let's just let's just talk it out. How, how does paying a ransom work? Like, what what is usually the process? Uh, and how do these organizations know that, you know, how kind of to have confidence that it's really going to be successful? We you know, they can pay the ransom, doesn't mean, you know, they're going to get the keys uh, back uh, and so decrypt their, their, their data, right? I mean,
2: yeah. So this is, um, a, again, working with a, um, a, a broker to um, facilitate this on your behalf, so to speak. So they, um, the, the brokers are tracking various threat groups that they've worked with in the past. Uh, and they know um, from a, a proof of life, from testing the, the, the encryption process, they know the, the likelihood of it being successful. This, there are, um, uh, within the ransom notes, uh, how you contact the threat groups, there is a, um, a, a help desk that will actually work with these organizations so that they can actually successfully decrypt um, uh, their data. So it, it is a very interesting uh, I'll call it a business model that, again, to what you said, this this isn't sustainable and, and will most likely blow up, so to speak.
1: So what's the role of cybersecurity insurance in all this? How does the insurance play into this whole, the, the ransomware attack scenarios?
2: So from, from a, a, a cyber insurance perspective, I, I know a lot of organizations that specifically get cyber insurance for the Sole purpose of, of paying the ransom or or an extortion, um, and so that good, kind of feeds into that that business model of, of this, this this ecosystem, um, and it and in, in obviously in addition to um, uh, paying paying the ransom, insurance companies help with the investigation, recovery, uh, um, um, uh, an element of betterment for the organization. So it is more than just. Uh, the, the having you know the paying the ransom, but um, there's a caveat here. Is that it, again this year has been nothing like we've we've seen before with the volume of of ransomware attacks and with the the record ransomware payments. Um, this this isn't sustainable for the the insurance companies long term either. Um, and so I think we're going to see the insurance industry evolve through this year. With what they cover um, and, and and how they cover it,
1: Nick. What's the number one way that companies can defend themselves against these type of attacks? If there's one thing that they could do, what, what's the best thing that they, they can do?
2: <laughs> don't don't get tar- Don't get attacked in the first place. Um, obviously, way easier said than done. Um, you know, we we talked a lot about. Um, you know, so let, let's start on the the the, the front end. Um, from a readiness perspective um, you have to start with the basics um, you have to you know we talked about our instant response our recovery plans you have to start with the basics and and we need to update those for this year because our environment has changed um, From there let's let's move on to actually testing these plans um, everyone does uh, uh, t- tabletop exercises but let's then test how we would invoke our disaster recovery plan, like we talked about, like when uh, SECM goes down, how do we test that and know that we can recover? And you know, I, I hate to say that, like organizations don't like to test their um, their uh, their backup plans. Uh, it's just it's it's not really sexy. No one wants to do that, um, but it is. You you don't want to figure out that your 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 backup and your recovery plans aren't working in a actual event. Um, let, let's, let's take this uh, another step um, uh, further here is, you know, um, uh, you know I, I, I'll, I'll quote Mike Tyson here. Um, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Nick, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the Cyber Defense and Incident Response Lead at Accenture, Mr. Nick Esner, you're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs
4: manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. And the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet. S I N E T.
5: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
0: You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at Taskforce7Radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host,
1: George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the cyber defense and incident response lead at Accenture, Mr. Nick Esner. So uh, what are you telling your clients to do now? What, what, you know, to be ready for ransomware, to be ready for other kinds of attacks? What do you see coming up in 2021? Uh,
2: 2021. I wish I knew what was going to happen <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> um, I get a time machine here and go back to um, two years ago, maybe. Um, it, this is really difficult um, time here as, as we've talked through a number of elements already. And it's just hyper vigilance is, you know, we we're just talking in the last uh, section about from a, a readiness perspective. Um, From a uh, people process perspective, there's a lot of challenges with, I mean, we've seen organizations impacted with the the, uh, economic business climate where organizations had to lay off IT and security folks. Um, we have, there's an element of us having to do more with less as the, 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 obviously the attacks are not going down. The sophistication of the threat actors are, is going up. Um, and, and so it's, this is constant, um, uh, uh, cat, um, cat and mouse game here.
1: Right. Are there technical controls or tools that you're recommending that, that folks use?
2: Yeah, so everyone wants to solve a problem with a tool. Um, and you know, um, one, you know, there, we've, we've got to look at this uh, you know, multiple angles here. And one of the things that we're doing from an incident response perspective is doing a lot of technical control testing with our clients and, and specifically with ransomware. So we are, you know, uh, think of this as um, uh, a super hyper-realistic tabletop exercise on steroids, um, where we're, we're actually creating ransomware. We're, we're testing it in a controlled manner um, with our clients on, you know, let's say different endpoint configurations. And we're looking at um, how our client systems actually respond, how what controls um, uh, do they have that or as preventing ransomware deployment? what early warning indicators do our system, our clients have that can pick up on this. So it's really taking the the testing to to the next level. So when they do see ransomware for the first time, they're not figuring out how their controls are detecting it or preventing it. So specifically, you know, we're working with a lot of um, uh, various EDR solutions um, and uh, constantly testing the effectiveness with their clients, um, looking at fine tuning Policies and configurations, so they, so it, you know, that it will one prevent the ransomware from from deploying, and then two, what controls and detections do we have in place for for early warning?
1: So, last week, um, I think on Tuesday last week, it was FireEye disclosed a breach where they said that client information and Red Team tools uh, were compromised. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what, what type of client information. Um, what's your take on the tool piece of this? And, and do you think these tools will be used against uh, the organizations that they were trying to protect?
2: Well, this, this has been a, a very interesting to follow. Uh, no doubt um, this is a high-profile target. Uh, a, a hard target, uh, nevertheless. And what we understand is um, this seems to be a very sophisticated threat actor. And I appreciate uh, Kevin Mandia coming out um, and disclosing um, what they've seen, and with disclosing the red team tools and and all the IOCs for for countermeasures. So that will help organizations. Um, but yet there is this. There's this this degree of um, uh, of uncertainty, almost of um, the from a uh, 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 the threat actor motivation. um, Are they going to weaponize this for other attacks from a broader campaign perspective, or um, or distribute these tools to to other threat groups um, and 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 potentially cause uh, chaos?
1: You know, we see ourselves on TF7 uh, radio as the advocate for the cybersecurity professional, you know, the advocate for the CISO that's out there. Um, And I see cybersecurity professionals being critical of uh, FireEye and their defenses, and I just, when I see that, me personally, I I, I just, I I think it's it's amateurish, and I just, it's so JV, and they, they really have no... Like, you lose so much credibility because this can happen to anyone. I mean, you have one of the most sophisticated, um, funded uh, actors in the world, you know, specifically targeting your organization. Like, it's a pretty good chance you're going to have a problem, right? And so, wh- what are your thoughts on these people that are coming out and just, you know, uh, I-, I think talking, you know, way out of turn, in my opinion. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I, I agree with you, George. This is—we um, don't wish this on anyone. We we have friends that work um, at at FireEye, CrowdStrike, at all, all, all um, security organizations. Um, we we don't wish this on anyone. This is a, a worst case doomsday scenario for for the company. Um, we we you know we don't know um, all the information, um, and to uh, accuse or blame. Um, an organization for failures. It, it's just, it's, it's not professional, um, and we, we, we wouldn't want this. We wouldn't wish this on anyone.
1: Yeah, and as we're as we're just wrapping up the show, I like to say that you know I think Kevin Mandia may have possibly done more to advance cybersecurity and defend organizations against cybersecurity attacks than anyone else on the planet, and so. You know, just something to take away. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Can't wait to have you
2: back. Yeah, George, thank you. I, I enjoyed our conversation today and uh, looking forward to next time.
1: All right, folks, it's, it's time to bounce up out of here. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoying this special holiday season. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.